Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars pertaining to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2019. Episode 246, Making Good Financial Decisions as a Game Designer. Presented by Heather O'Neill, Tim Rodriguez, and Jennifer Graham Mock. Before 
uh, you've gone too far and invested too much money and said, whoops, I should never have done that, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that. God. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm, I have fallen into a lot of pit traps, and I would like to share them with you all so you don't fall into the same pit traps, because there are so many of them. Yeah, I mean, is everybody, I'm, I'm curious, like, of the audience, are we all, are you all prospective publishers? Are you game designers? So, you just, let's, I, let's now start I'm with, asked, like, are, are you a publisher? Are you, pers are you, raise your hand if you're a publisher? Publisher, publishers in the back. Everybody's sitting, hanging out in the back. Really cool kids in the designer back. Designer that right. does not want to publish your own game. You're a designer. Perspective, perspective, not publisher. Okay. Yeah. And okay. And then just okay. designer, publish or get published by somebody else. Either way, that's probably most of the group. Okay. And and you're all here in this panel because you understand that making games costs money, right? Like that's the baseline that we're all. Oh, good. Cool. good financial decisions. Cool. Cool. Oh, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> well, and one of the reasons I wanted to have this panel is because I hear so many people that, and we've probably all done it, we definitely have stories where we've done it where we've made the wrong decision or we maybe didn't make as good of a calculated decision as we should have made in hindsight. Right? Yeah. Plenty of those. Yeah. Well, it's, so, really, it's just, it's really easy. Like, we're all here because we're passionate, right? Like, making games is about being passionate. Probably, there's no, uh, there's a lot of sunk cost in terms of time, and that's probably the number one thing you've seen yourself spend right now is, is your own personal time. So it's now trying to get a return on that time that you've spent, right, and trying to monetize that time and turn it into something feasible so you feel a little bit rewarded. It's, you know, you're probably at the point where you want to feel a little bit rewarded, but that can be pretty intimidating um, because there's a lot of sunk cost that goes into making games. Um, the, I mean, people talk about it all the time, and I guess we can go yeah, into that's like, it, yeah. uh, you know, like to, to make a game, let's just, maybe we could just go, go through sure, like what sure. it costs, like what are the costs involved with making a game, like, like, like from start to finish. Start to finish right? And we're gonna say it's, this is not like some epic adventure huge game, right? Like, but just think, just think of the things, even from a book perspective, there's a hard cost actual hard cost. That's what you're thinking about. There's going to be a whole bunch of other things you're not thinking about. Um, right. So, okay. So, when I think of making a game, I start with, like, some index cards and some chips or coins I have lying around. Yep. How much does that cost? A couple dollars, maybe. Like, I designed my first game for about $7 worth of index cards and, like, little, like, garage sale tags and a pen. Right. Right? Like, that's where ghost parents came from. That was it. it. it was awesome. And let's say on the board game side of things, just to make it a little, little fairer, put it in perspective. Like maybe a board game, if you got really fancy with your prototype um, or or your design, you spent like a hundred dollars because you went, you got the wood, and maybe you have some fancy woodcutter at home now, and you've got a fancy laser printer, and you decided you wanted to print on the wood, and then you went, maybe you probably did a couple iterations. You were like, do I want this wood? To, do I want it to be wood, or do I want a fabric board? So let's just say you spent a hundred dollars. To get a prototype, one prototype, one quantity, one prototype. If it is your prototype that you're taking around to show off your game, maybe you're taking it to a playtest event, maybe you're taking it to an unpub mini, maybe you're taking it to a game convention or something like that, which costs money, right? Like let's let's just say you take it to Manitopia, because we're here. Right. So locally, I live here, so it costs me money for a hotel, uh, about fifty bucks so for a train to the hotel. I live in New York, so <laughs> I mean it's a hell of a commute, so I'm passing on that part. 
It's really is. Yeah. New York looks close until you actually travel. Yeah, that's right. two hours. <laughs> two hours and 40 bucks round. Right, but now you spent your $100, a ton of your time, I'm sure, um, and maybe your friend's time and other people's partner's time or whatever. Then you've now decided, I'm going to go to Minotopia. So you paid your registration to go to Minotopia. You're sharing a hotel, or you have your own hotel, or you're commuting in. Right. You're spending money for food and drinks while you're here. Um, all that's happening, and there's no return on that $100. And this is, a, this is a convention where you're not selling anything, right? You're, you're just here, and we'll assume that you're, you've now spent money on a more expensive ticket because you want to show your game to people, this fancy game that you've made. You're not just play testing, so it's not, we're not talking about the $20 bet, we're talking about that. Yeah, we're we're like four hundred dollars already. Right. Yeah. Right. Metatopia is easy. The hotel rooms aren't as expensive as going to a bigger convention, which will circle back on once your game has been made. Once you've spent the right. So let's just say you're, you're doing that. Okay. Now you're going to go to some some local things that don't cost you any money. You don't need to stay overnight, but it's going to be you know six hours of your day, and you're going to be you're going to be out doing that. Um, maybe there's things that you're giving up to get ready for these events on a Thursday night, oh, I'm still gonna do this, so I'm not gonna go to this thing. There's a lot of things that are tangible that you are, are your costs, okay? And also, you're heavily invested in this, in your own, in your own um, mind, you want this to do well. So now, you're at the point where you wanna start trying to meet with publishers, right? Or maybe you're considering kickstarting it. Let's, let's go with Kickstarter. Okay, well, yeah. So if we're gonna go Kickstarter, see, I'm ready to Kickstarter. Mentopia went super well for me. I got a lot of good feedback, like I'm, I'm ready to do this. And let's just assume that you actually, like, you knew what the plan was. You don't need to, like, get any advice. You know what you're doing. Even if you know what you're doing, you've got to now make a video. You have to have a print and play or rule book pretty much ready to go. You need to have previews and reviews. Um, you need photos of the game. You probably need to get it in front of a lot more people. For marketing. Right, so now the, now the game that you just spent $100 on to make this single copy of, it turns out you don't need one uh, copy of that game, you need five copies of that game. And actually it's really ugly, so no one's going to be interested in that when you put pictures of it on Kickstarter, so you actually need artwork at this point. Right, so you've created this game, it's a really great idea, people are like, this is awesome, I can't wait to see what art you put on it, you're like, you didn't like my clip art? I thought, it was, uh, I thought I did a nice job with the graphic design. Oh, but no, that's not. that I have to license. Oh, no. <laughs> or go to an artist, right? Even better and more creative. Because it's we're in a world of 3,000 games a year, you need your, your game to stand out. And one of the best ways that your game and products can stand out in the market is by being something that thing people want to look at. So right now, we haven't. You've, all you've done, keeping in mind that all of this up to the Kickstarter, like we're not even at Kickstarter, now you've just decided that you want to do a Kickstarter, you need five versions of your $100 prototype, and that $100 prototype is now the cost of your artwork as well, and you need to be fair to artists, right? Just because there are uh, artists out there who want to do, like they want to be involved in it, and they might offer you a reasonable rate, that rate is still more than you were expecting to pay before. Yeah, right. because you weren't expecting to pay for art at all before now. Right, and, and even if you are uh, a suitably competent artist that is able to really make their own art for a game, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time and a lot of energy. And you know, whatever rate that you would might be getting paid for that art, you are not getting paid for that art yet. And, and one of the things I want to always warn people about too is yes, you do need the art, and it's important to have the art, but 
if you haven't kickstarted yet, it's your first Kickstarter, I don't want you dropping $10,000 in art. Okay, that's probably a bad idea. Um, so what you want to do is get, what pieces must I have? Like, I need the cover art, I need two, two characters, maybe four characters, whatever it is, and I want, like, a setting scene, and, like, that's going to be the back of the card, and then what we can do is say, okay, this is some sample art. Now, the way the Kickstarter and the game industry is going now, maybe that's not good enough, but, like, that would be your bare minimum. You would need to have to at least have that to have it out. Yeah, let's be ready for like Kickstarter, and then you say, if we hit this point, I'm going to get, you know, we're going to have a, a hundred more pieces or 25 more pieces or something like that. But you can't even consider doing a Kickstarter if you don't at least have that. Um, and so, that costs money. Yeah, so, so let's say then that costs, costs uh, to get reasons. Yeah, I was going to say three. three. Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. saying, three go, three on, three. go on the indie we'll range. Call it two. Call it two. And that, I like two. Seems good. Call it two. I think for Thousand Arrows, the RPG book that we did most recently, uh, the cover art was 800 bucks. Yeah, okay. that's usually right. Yeah, cover, that's just for the box. It's a real beautiful piece of book. It's a real beautiful cover. Or cover. Yeah. So here we are. Now you're close. You're, you've done all this work. You're almost at your Kickstarter, and you dropped a few thousand dollars of your, your own budget in hopes of getting the return on the Kickstarter, right? So this is. I, I, I did kind of want to bring this up, not to just intimidate you, but just to like bring shed light on what it really is, okay? Uh, and, and how much, if you're willing to do this and you believe in it, it could, of course, uh, pay dividends. It could be yeah, the absolutely. most greatest thing you ever did. But it can be scary as you're seeing things go out and you're seeing your bills come in and you're like, oh my god, I, what if I make the money up? What if the Kickstarter fails? What if this, you know, and all these things. So you gotta be sure, you gotta be uh, honest with yourself, like, do I, have I played this loop is enough? Do I feel that like a lot of people have told me they want to see this game? Have I talked to other people who have had Kickstarters and they think my Kickstarter plan sounds good? You know, these are the kinds of calculated decisions where you're like, okay, I am gonna go forward and I'm gonna continue with this. But if it's yesterday I had this cool idea, this weekend my friend said we should put it on Kickstarter and I decided to do it within a month and dropped a thousand dollars, that would be a bad financial decision, obviously. Um, yeah, so, like, this is basically the process that I went through, right, yeah. for, for my first game. Um, I did a, a little board game called Ghost Pirates, uh, which is like a two-player card game, and I found, uh, I met somebody on a board game night who was an art school student, and I got a bunch of art for way cheaper than she really deserved. Uh, and then I printed the game, and... That's when things got even more ridiculous. <laughs> so, y'all know about like the economy of scale? So, the great thing is that... I don't, tell me. Okay, so, so if I'm just... Yeah, no, we yeah. So, economies of scale are uh, basically, as you do more of the same thing in an industrial fashion, they tend to get cheaper. So, as you buy more and more units of your game, each individual unit costs less, which is rad. So for, you know, 500 units of a game, like each of them is costing maybe about $7. But like, for $5,000, each of them costs about $3. 5,000 units. 5,000 units. So, you know, I'm spending about 50 to 100% more but I'm getting 10 times as many games, and this is awesome. 
right? Because each, each of those games theoretically is going to translate into a bunch of profit. Um, yeah. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah theoretically. theoretically. Now, uh, ask me how many copies of Ghost Patterns I have left. How many copies do you have left? Uh, about three fifths of that number. This game is now eight years old. Things you need to be thinking about. Um, and every year I've been paying about $120 in warehouse costs and money in taxes. Right. So, I mean, one of the things I wanted to go over while we're talking about all this stuff is um, basically doing like a cost benefit analysis to you personally, if, where you should go next. Okay. You should say, even if it's just, am I going to the convention? Am I making that prototype? Am I doing that Kickstarter? Am I pushing to get this prototype um, published? And really taking a good look at it before you go forward. As we discussed, 3,000 games come out a year. You gotta be really sure that you're committed to doing this because there's a lot of noise you gotta get through and there's a lot of time and effort you have to put into getting your game out there. Right. And, and getting your game out there can mean a lot of It doesn't of mean to be that it's a Walmart shelf, right? right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the last panel. That was terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, so like, I didn't have an eye towards actually publishing until I did. Um, I was running a podcast at the time, and I decided to start doing game design as like, here's what I need to do to feel at all creatively fulfilled. And it was amazing. Like everything was freeing, and I got great feedback from people, and it was all basically like as part of the cool vacations that I took, which was awesome. Right, that was fun. It was it was amazing. Right, so for you personally, you were like, I need, I feel like I want to continue to do this it was for your well-being and fulfillment. Well, yeah. no, so technically I didn't. Right, <laughs> I, I I made the mistake of being somebody who really wants to know how everything works. And so I took that step into publishing as wanting to know how everything works. And I have the financial stability to do that and not have horrendous reactions. But I did end up paying basically an extra rent cost for about two years to finish paying off that game. So I mean. Yeah, even, even if you're just making one game, like let's say in this, uh, again, in our hypothetical situation of you're going to Kickstarter, you have this dream of making your game, your game only a reality. That's, that's all, you, all you see. You're not, you don't see a publishing house that's putting out three games or ten games a year. You just want to make your game a reality. You are still starting a business. Even if it's just that one project, it is still a business that has financial implications for a long time because you end up printing thousands of copies of the game that have to sit somewhere because you have to pay taxes on it because you have to distribute it, right? Like we're, we're stuck <coughs> pausing our, our hypothetical scenario where you've dropped now close to $3,000 and you haven't even gotten to Kickstarter. That's a financial, those are financial choices that, that you have to make and at the end of the day, like I think at the end of this, this the big takeaway is gonna be like, these are all personal decisions that you have to make and we can't help make them for you. Um, but every game, every product has right spaces to be in and wrong spaces to be in. And there, I think all three of us would probably argue that there are people out there that will play all of your games. Like, I think that there's, there's room for all games for, for a set group of people. So the key is, if you are going to make these stretches, 
how are you reaching and finding that audience to make it worth it? Because you can come up with financial things, and, and she'll go into more detail about like some of those like cost benefit things and stuff like that. But like a key thing is going to be finding your the audience as well. Right, definitely. And there's that's uh, one of the, so let me just quickly do. I'm just going to go over the list, and then we'll delve into doing okay because a lot of things don't actually have a, a set cost. So. Basically, it, uh, a cost-benefit analysis is like a pro-con list, okay? And so your, hard, your costs are obviously your hard costs, like the physical cost of the prototype or my actual cost of the art, that kind of thing, my marketing you know, cost maybe. Um, then you also have your time, which literally no one in the industry has probably paid well for that. Um, so just forget that. That's never getting covered. Um, and then intangibles. If you're not laughing, it's because you just haven't figured that out yet. But it's really yeah. 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 Intangibles would be things like building the audience and, you know, um, what other benefits could, could I get from, like, maybe putting a game out there that I feel like, you know, really, like, made an impact on the world kind of thing. Like, those are intangibles. Um, or then, you know, other unknowns that could arise that you're not thinking about. Like, I didn't know I had to pay tax carrying costs on product for three more years. I didn't realize I didn't have, you know, the things you're not thinking about, right? Um, then, you, then you're gonna also have, um, you know, maybe there's a good marketing boost. You know, how much do you sink into it? You could sink money in and do nothing, or it could just, on its own merit, get a marketing boost because of the type of game that it is, right? And you don't know, you're gonna hope that it's gonna go that way, but maybe not. Yeah, there's definitely scientific facts to back up the job that I do. And yes. I can totally well, prove right. how I can. No. Um, Except for cat games. You know, so another, well, cat games, obviously. They sell themselves, that's right. Hashtag yes. Cat yes. That was our first game, so yeah, cat game. Well, second game, I guess. Um, also, another benefit that you might not be thinking about is you have income. So that sounds great. Like, I just made money on my game. But if you sell a game for $40, you didn't make $40, okay? Um, there's costs that go involved in that. You, maybe you made 15 or 20 if you're selling it direct. And if you're selling it through distribution, you're making way less than that for you. So you gotta think about this. If you're like, oh, I need to make $10,000 off this game. How are you really gonna make $10,000? And I hope you're not saying that because that's also not a really um, good way to go into it because if you're thinking I need to make some kind of thing that's just not gonna work, you have to go into it kind of saying, hey, this, this would be neat, I would like to do this, and then, oh my God, I can't believe I made $2,000 on this game, right? I think that's a better way to go into it. Um, but there's so many things that could arise. Yeah, you can budget and sort of plan out a yeah. strategy for like how that works in a best case scenario sure. and provide for some less than best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I always, always go worst case scenario and then I even add 10 or 20% to my costs in the, our Kickstarters and I still sometimes, because of mostly postage uh, rates, I, I international too, I usually am still wrong, but I, I still, like just in case, I'm gonna go with this and I'm gonna mark it up even more. And I think my biggest budget markup from like here are all my costs is then to mark it up like 140% mm -hmm. to like, Say this is actually what I should ask. Oh yeah, yeah. For, for what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do, I just, I just have 20 percent of my costs all the time just to make sure I didn't miss yeah. anything. <laughs> right. Uh, and so one, one thing that, so at this point, let's just go back to our. Sure. I like that. I like that. So at this point, you decide you want to go to Kickstarter. You decide you want to make a physical product. So the next thing you have to do is you're not just going right on Kickstarter. You probably opened up Kickstarter. You made your account. You started a page, and now you're getting spam emails from Kickstarter telling you they really should finish this Kickstarter because they want their money too. But that's not the next step that you need to take. The next thing you're going to look for is a manufacturer, 
right? So, so you, you can, can manufacture, manufacture in a lot of different parts of the world, and I, I don't I want to speak for everybody. I tend to manufacture, but key master manufacturers in China, China and US, and RBGs, and RBGs. Yeah, So you have to go find a manufacturer, and you get a cost, and you get quotes, and they're more than welcome. And I, honestly, I don't know that there's any manufacturer who's mean. They're all super friendly and welcoming to new people who reach out to them. They're very responsive. I remember when I, before I was working with Keymaster, I got a response and I was just nobody. Like, they didn't have any idea who I was. I reached out and was like, I have an idea for a game. And they're like, cool, let's price that out. And it seems great because they're like, this is going to cost you $2 per unit. And you're just like, I'm going to make so much money because like, I'm going to sell this game for $20. This box, I see so many other games, like it's $20. That's a huge return, right? That's a 10x return. There's no way that I'm not gonna make tons of money. But that is just to manufacture your game. So the next, this next part is probably really important. It's just understanding, like if you don't, we could break it down, but it's not, I don't, I don't know if this is the right moment to break down all the costs of a game. More so to say that that's just the tip of the iceberg. What your cost is on a game is not what that manufacturing number is because you have shipping and import fees and your warehousing fees. So you have to account for the taxes that on, on the income, you have to account for art. Now this artwork that you paid for, you have to build that into the cost of the game. And then if you want to attempt to say, hey, I deserve some return, you can put a number on your time for designing your game and then try to build that into the cost a little bit. And then you're looking for six times the cost of that on your game. So now this game that you you know, like spent all this time on and energy has gone from being $2 in manufacturing costs to actually being more like $5 in manufacturing costs. And now you have to sell it for $30. Now you have to convince a thousand people to spend $30 with you. Because, and, and that's, you're like, a thousand people, that's easy, right? But you're one of 3,000 games that's coming out every year. Right. And the problem is, and I'm sure everyone in this room has, has seen this, even if it doesn't affect you yet, is you go on Amazon to buy your games, you go to a store to buy your games, you're, you're oh, this comes over $60.99, that's awesome. Well, that's only, unfortunately, devaluing uh, what the market wants the game price to be. So now your game that's in the same box, that $60.99 game, you have to sell for $30. How am I convincing people to sell that for $30, to buy that for $30, when I can buy this one for $14.99? You should spend $13 more while I could get into games. Exactly, and then and then you're also competing with huge companies on Kickstarter. It is, there's more and more levels here where it kind of goes, hmm, am I ready to commit to that? So what I would suggest, too, is, if you're going to do this Kickstarter, get what all those costs are going to be, and where am I at? And then find out what your six times would be, and or seven, seven probably better. Yeah, um, and then how many yeah. backers would I need to back this at the base level to even consider to even do it, right? And if it's something over 500, that's when you really might want to start thinking about it, um, because if your audience is not that big. You've now got to drum up business for a few hundred or possibly a thousand people that you do not know. And Kickstarter is not a magical place where you're just going to get backers because it's on there, unfortunately. Right. And that means going to, to generalize. <laughs> again, because what Tim was talking about, right, this economy of scale, if you can get 3,000 people to back your game and you're making 3,000 copies of that game, well, your $2 cost probably just went down to a buck 80, right, which is awesome. But 
going from 1,000 backers or 500 backers to 1,000 backers, 1,000 backers to 2,000 backers, 2,000 backers to 5,000 backers is a huge jump. And it's sometimes it's pretty deceptive on Kickstarter because you see things get, like people get wrapped up in the moment, but if you don't necessarily understand, like those things don't just happen, they're not magical. I know they look magical, but they're not. They, there's a lot of people behind those events, we'll call them, happening to make that a reality. And it takes a lot of work and that's kind of, those are the intangibles. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to like show you real budgets and walk you through like all of the cost overruns that I've ever seen. Uh, if you want. Well, another thing, I, I know this has happened a couple times, but not everybody, but it's, it's happened to people I know on their first game. A, they didn't realize how much the shipping was going to go up, the shipping cost. Okay, major issue with that just our postal system pricing. Right, you just up. save 20 cents to on per copy because you're going from 1,000 to 3,000 units, but they take up way more space, 3,000 copies of the game. Well, then the other thing is sometimes um, you're going to also have possibly 5 to 10 percent, hopefully not 10 percent, fallout. Cancel people failed pledges that didn't actually go through. So you sold twenty five thousand dollars. Well, maybe you only got twenty three thousand dollars, and then from that twenty three thousand dollars, Kickstarter's taking their money. And then also, how do you get paid from Kickstarter through a thing called Stripe, just like Amazon Payments or PayPal? They take three percent. Okay, so you're basically got to take ten percent off of whatever that actual number is, and that should be what you actually bring in. Right, so that $25,000 just became $20,000. And uh, what was your budget? Whoops, I needed $21,000. I thought oh, no. I was over, I thought I had more money. Yeah, exactly. You, you did a minute ago. Yeah. Now, if we're going to board game, which I'm just going to say we're going to do board games, because they're much more intensive labor intensive for money. If you're going to do board game, let's say you did get $25,000. And let's oh, say you, you did, did a great need, job. You did a great job and you did need $21,000. We're not even talking about the marketing you needed to get there. Let's just say it happened. Just say it happened and it was amazing, right? Just for you know, we should probably scale it back to 12,000, but whatever. This, you know, we're just going to say you did this. Well, then you go in, you, you, you make everything. It takes six to eight months to do it. You get everything in. Well, now postage rates have gone up. Um, you're, you've had to pay somebody to do your pledge management, possibly, that they took a fee. That could happen. Packaging and handling to get the units shipped out. Um, so then by the time you've actually fulfilled the Kickstarters a year later, Possibly that 4,000 profit that you thought you had is either negative or gone. Yeah, let's say that you made $25,000 because we're being super optimistic and you're doing a great job. So you made $25,000, you sold 3,000 copies of your game. Well, you were like, I was super smart and I budgeted that $20,000 is what I needed to make 5,000 copies of your game, right? So you, have, you now have 2,000 copies extra of your game that is in theory all profit because $20,000 was the budget you had for making those 3,000 games, or, or uh, for the 5,000 games. So you've sold 3,000 of them already, 2,000 that's on a $30 game, you're, you're feeling like, this is gonna be great. I'm, this is probably not accurate math. I'm sorry if it's not $30, I didn't do that. That's close enough. Okay, that's close enough. We took out all these fees. You took out fees for, for marketing, and we'll just say that you've now you've rolled it back to, to your twenty thousand dollars, and now you have two thousand games extra that you haven't sold yet. So now you have to figure out a way to get that money. Right, all of your profit is sitting inside of boxes, just waiting to go somewhere. They're probably should, sitting at a warehouse. They're sitting at a warehouse collecting taxes. Your cash is in the form of meeples. They're pretty meeples, but they are meeples nonetheless. They do not go to the bank. Uh, so you need to figure out a way to turn
turn that into cash. One, because if people love your game, you're gonna have to want, you're gonna have to print more of it. Well, maybe you don't have to, you just say no. But, uh, you could. You could. It's, it's maybe not a bad thought, but you have to look at those cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. Um, but that's where we circle back on maybe, like, are you, are you going on Amazon? Are you going to conventions, more conventions, right? Now you're like, I have this game, 3,000 people liked it, that's actually not bad, right? So do I go to, just, it's actually great. Uh, so I want to go to Origins. Gen Con's a little harder to get into. So let's say that, that Origins is a little more, could be a little more welcoming to, to a new publisher, right? Now you're a publisher because you have a published game. So for all intents and purposes, we're calling you a publisher because that's how we operate. Self-publisher, or yeah. call you a publisher. Right. Yeah. So you go, you want to go to Origins. Now it's not Metatopia. We said that Metatopia is going to run you in the four or five hundred dollar range, but Origins, going to Origins and having a booth space is way more expensive than that. I can tell you some numbers off the top of my head. Go for it. Two thousand. Yeah, I was going to say approximately. To show up, have a booth, like, and that is literally just you. having the space. In allocated to you and a hotel room and some food for the weekend, right? And that's, and that's just you. And, and you're going to go. We're not even talking. We're, I guess we want to talk about the fact that like that would be the biggest emotional suck of your life. Going to a convention, running it all by yourself. You might think, cool, I'm showing off my game, and it's like there is an emotional toll and a physical toll that happens because you are now trying to solo making this work. And there's plenty of people in, to be like applauded for, for doing the hustle and making that work, but it is exhausting. So let's let's say you're doing is a magician. But one of these things I'm thinking about is, you know, in this great, this sounds like so great, like everybody in this room would be so happy if this happened on their first game and they said they're going to go to work, they're going to, maybe they're going to sell these games at Origins or something like that. Well, you know, that sounds great in theory, however, that's another, you're going to take off five days from, okay, I'm assuming you have a full-time job, you have to take off days from work, you have to get yourself out there, including all of the product. Um, how much product do you think you're gonna sell to cover that $2,000? If you only sell $1,000, now you just lost money on that convention. So yeah, maybe you got exposure for that game, and that seems great, and all these people bought it, but not enough people bought it to cover my cost of that convention. So I'm gonna kind of always transition into, now that we're a publisher, we're, we're, all, we're in that level, you know, now I'm starting to look at, okay, what uh, decisions make sense for us as a publisher? So maybe origins make sense, but maybe the small con down the street that is, you know, cost me $800, but it's my full weekend, isn't worth my time anymore. Or maybe flying to the West Coast for something and having to do housing uh, for five nights plus, a, plus uh, the cost of the convention isn't worth my time as much anymore as other things, right? You know what's awesome? Okay. At a $200 booth at a local con where you can just like set up a table and sell lots of games. That is it's not actually too bad to make money. I literally was just at a small local convention last weekend and we sold $180 of stuff in like four hours. And it was like maybe 30 people were at this convention. So I was very happy with that. But it's one of these things where you have to kind of look at these things from an implication of making your game huge expensive. But if it's just, I have my game, it's, it already was kickstarted, now I wanna go to conventions, or maybe I need wanna go to a design conference, or maybe I wanna market my website, uh, my shop on my website. All these little costs, you wanna be thinking about all the things we just talked about, every one of those things. And is it worth the time and money that you're gonna put into it to do that? 
So, so my standard advice when somebody says, hey, I'm thinking about self-publishing my game, I'm like, don't. Like, if you don't, and like, there's there's obviously a, like a much more nuanced answer to that. Um, but if you're only going to stick around for the TLDR, I'm going to tell you don't do it. Like, if you want, make a game, absolutely make a game. I 100% support that. But like, being a publisher is a very, very different job. And it's work that a lot of designers turn out not to want to do. Uh, and that's fine. Like, not everybody needs to be a publisher. Right. Not everybody right. needs to be a self-publisher. Because at the end of the day, like, what, what's happened is you've turned into a business owner, right? Because you said that now, you, now you're officially a publisher, whether you like it or not. And now you're doing a lot of other things, and you're not designing anymore. Right? You were like, this is my first game, and it's rocking. And I'm like, ready to, I'm ready to make three more games. I have so many ideas. I'm feeling so creative and so amped and ready. But I have to answer these customer service emails. People keep emailing me that there's this one component in my game that is broken, and I need to replace it broken. I need to replace parts. I don't have extra parts. Where am I getting those from? I guess I just have to open up these other games that were my profit to fulfill those things. And that takes, it turns out, Helping customers and helping your community is a lot of work. Oh, well, that's kind of the, uh, where I've been in the last couple of years. I am designing games and I'm putting out games, but I am I'm coming from a business perspective anyway. But I'm doing a lot of, I'm getting all the quotes for all of our games. I'm scheduling our Kickstarter schedules. I'm working with customer service. I'm setting up interviews for people. I'm deciding what event we're going to go to. I'm getting our booth space. I'm figuring out what panels we're submitting for PACs or for here. Um, you know, I'm setting up all those things. And then I'm also trying to like live my life, and I'm also trying to design a game, right? So it ends up just taking up a lot. Well, right? Well, that's what I said. That was a little, you know, I was trying, trying to, um, you know. But it's one of these things. Like we had a Kickstarter product come in this past week. All this week, we were fulfilling a small zine quest Kickstarter. Again, it seemed just like 200, 300 backers, no big deal. But I'm also trying to get ready for Metatopia. I'm also getting ready for packs on club. So it, it was so much of our time this week that really in cost, I mean, I lost a lot of cost this week because I was spending my whole, every night doing it. But that's what you kind of gotta be prepared for. And I love doing that business end of stuff. So for me, I think it's great and I love doing that. But if that's not really for you, that's something you really need to be thinking about. Because you just get it. Yeah. Which is actually great. There's, there's or, or find a partner. Yeah. You know, I mean, but it's okay. It's okay. So the, I think another another big takeaway is like this isn't this, we're not making this super super mathy, but it's more about understanding what you're good at, right? Like you going back to the beginning where you thought that your artwork was great, and it turns out that in order to have a super successful Kickstarter, which was probably successful because you spent money and got some fancy artwork on it. Uh, accepting that you're not good at artwork, accepting that you're not good at graphic design, understanding that like, you might not be good at marketing, you might not be the best business-headed person, right? Like Heather, I believe, is an awesome business-minded person because she comes from a super business, like she has a super business background, and I bet, see, I'm seeing, seeing it in the back, you get a confirmation from the back, that's awesome. I don't come from that background. So I super appreciate the person on my team who is that mind, uh, and we lean into that. And it's it's okay to say that you're not good at all of these things, right? Because now we've talked about managing a project. Because now you have to. We didn't even talk about like putting all those things together. Now, like you're like, oh, I have this artwork. What do I do with it? 
right? Like finding someone who can put that piece together, finding someone who can be a logistics person who can manage getting the product from China to where they don't really speak English a lot, right? Like if English is your primary language, well, Chinese is their primary language, so the cheapest way to get your thing published is really hard to communicate with. That's a huge deal, it doesn't seem like a big deal. So finding someone who can manage that, it's, it's, it's okay to say that like you need help, and there are people who want, like, we're in a room full of people who are interested in this, it is okay to turn to your neighbor and be like, how can we work together? Yeah, there's also a lot of people in the community that aren't just game designers. I mean, you always meet all the game designers, but there's a ton of people behind the scenes that are involved, okay? And so many, okay? And they don't get a lot of credit. But, but they're doing all of the work that that designer that you know their name doesn't want to do or isn't capable of doing, okay? So there's a lot of that going on. And when you're solo or you're indie, that might be one, two, or four people max. And that's it. That's all you got to work with. So you got to really be real with yourself. And this, you know, do that cost-benefit analysis of like your actual skills. Like I'm not going to be the one to handle money, or you know, I'm not good at remembering deadlines. I'm better at just like being in the moment. Okay. Well, then you're not the person handling all of these you're not logistics. logistics. You're not logistics, and you're not fulfillment. Or this person's like, oh, I'm horrible at writing. Okay. Well, then I'm not doing the editing in the book right up. You know, for example. Um, and and you kind of have to have those conversations, and you kind of have to really. I think the, the most positive way to do it is to really be real with yourself on what is the best that you can do because you're only hurting yourself if you're not being honest with yourself about what you're good at, you know, financially. Are there any questions? Yeah, I'll look at that. Should we ask some questions if we want to have uh, any questions? I'm not sure how uh, it works when you work with a publisher, but uh, what, what remaining, what creative control do you still maintain when you do work with like, are you able to take the work back and say, we actually, you know, I want to work with these guys instead? Or are you kind of locked in once you go ahead and work with the publisher? Well, that depends on the contract. That you, if you signed a contract with them, might, they might have. You should sign a contract. Which you should. But I'm saying, if, they, if you signed the contract already, there's probably something clause in there about you can't take the game away from them. There's some kind of mutual agreement you need to decide on if you're going to part ways, something like that. Or they have the right of refusal for a year, something like that. Probably what you're going to have. The answer is get a lawyer, and there are lots of them around who like to help others. It doesn't cost money. Many of them will just like answer simple questions. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, right? but like, yes. Yeah. One yes. But it's, if it's, you don't it's, understand it's, contract, that is a legal document, and you should have somebody who understands that language, because it's also a new language. And yeah. I was going to say, one of the things is, from just, just say you are going to go to publisher, you like this publisher, the creative control level, there's a possibility that every single little thing that you decide in the game is not making it into that final game. All right, and there's going to be publishers that are great and really want to work really closely with you, and other ones that are saying, we really like this core, but we're completely getting rid of this section, or we're doing this, and in some cases, it's just going to be the matter of, of how well they want to work with you. Yeah, your mileage may vary. It does vary. And, and you should ask around to see who else has worked with that publisher and, you know, make your concerns about that aspect. Like, what, like, contracts are, are, are flexible until they're finished. Um, it's, it, they are agreements that everybody gets to agree on, right? Don't just sign a contract. Right, you don't have to, they were obviously interested in, in your game, right? You don't have to say, great, I'm gonna sign this contract and somebody wants to sign my game, right? You can go back, 
I know it's scary to even consider like not signing on the dotted line in that one minute, but when they're offering it to you, but you probably will say something like, let me have somebody review, I want to review this and I want to get back to you. And then that's when you're going to put these clauses. If we can help one mistake, it's that one. Don't, don't just sign it. Right. Anybody else have any other questions specific to them? Uh, do you know any uh, tools or resources out there to estimate like what like like what what amount of backers could you expect on a project with like like based on like uh, I don't know like Twitter followers people you've interacted with is there like formulas? Well, there's there's definitely a bunch of resources just about like when when you really be ready to launch a Kickstarter. I don't know that there's a specific number, but it's going to be things. There are resources I can't think of off the top of my head. James Math have a bunch of them and a few other ones. Best thing that I can think of off the top of my head is something that Fred has published, which was not about predicting number of backers, but predicting how many backers you would need based on your budget. Right. And it's actually super good, and I continue to use that to this day. Um, you should also what? Oh, uh, the Gosh, like I'd have to find it out. Um, you can hit me up. on Metatopia fans. Yeah, we can pop yeah, up Metatopia fans. But one of the other things is um, creating your base is, is something that you definitely want to do. So if, if you have shown your game around and you know like 50 people that like your game, that's probably not enough. You want to you want to get like a couple hundred signatures on a like mailing list and say like, oh, I would back this when this is on Kickstarter. So that you're like, okay, even if I only convert 10% of these people, like I have a base of people that are excited about this game, and they're going to be my early adopter first day, which you need the first day push. So you want to have a good mailing list and a good, maybe a Facebook group of people that are, have been following the game. Well, yeah, our market early and often, right? That's this uh, pretty common statement uh, that everything you do, um, every place that you go, uh, every person that you meet is a marketing opportunity. Um, and when you are an indie uh, publisher, when you are self-publishing, when you are a designer, it is important to build a community around uh, your thing. And this is where, like, going to local conventions where it's um, cheaper, it's okay. It's okay to say that, like, most of your your first time, like, I'll say, I'll use uh, uh, Keymaster. Keymaster's first Kickstarter was for a little game called Control. They didn't think it was going to, they had no idea what to expect. They expected, like, they expected to be putting money into it, and it ended up doing, I think, like, a 40, being a $40,000 campaign. We're talking about five years ago, and that was, like, cool. Uh, <laughs> before when that was Yeah, yeah. When, when that made, was cool. Uh, so, uh, but a lot of that audience was from their local community, right? A lot of that money came from people in Athens, Georgia, uh, where the company is based out of, from the region surrounding them, because they spent time developing a community in their region, and that's okay. It's okay for it to start there and to grow, because it's easy to manage. It's like having a community that's local and loyal is easy to deal with customer service wise and it's easy to have touch points with them on often uh, and you can talk to them right in a lot of different platforms but getting platforms building platforms um, like if you you social media might be something that you would say that you're not good at right it's okay to say that you're not good at it but you have to get good at it like that's a that's a baseline you don't necessarily need a website websites are great but being a presence for people to find out more and then actually actively communicating right so you're a designer and 
in order for people to follow you and actually care when you say, hey, I can go, giving them updates on where things are in production or where your ideas are going, like how our work is coming along before the Kickstarter even launches. That's information, those touch points are really important to making, making that 10%, 15% of that audience or 20%. It, it sounds, sounds like marketing is just telling people about your game. <laughs> okay. I mean, kind of at its core, right? Yeah, it's just talking. Right. I mean, um, that's what it's basically. And I'm yeah. marketing right now. Yeah. You probably know. That's amazing. You probably know this kind of thing, but I think it's some, something, some marketing thing, because I have a marketing degree, but I ended up never really using it in the real world. It's like, it takes like seven uh, points for somebody to actually like pick up on it. So I need to see your ad or something about your game. Yeah, seven times before yeah, like, I'm going like, to remember that I actually like, want to. Like, so it's like, like, yeah, right? like, a lot. It was like, okay, maybe um, I saw this one tweet about it. Okay, that's not going to get me to do it. It might take five to six tweets about it before you're capturing me, even though you considered me like one of your followers. I'm not even paying attention to it until like the fifth or sixth one. Yeah, it's the way you think that you have yeah. tons to say until you sit down and try to say things every single day about your game. Like, try building a post. Like, just think, even on your personal account, do you have a personal Facebook account? Or Twitter? Twitter. Twitter, not Facebook. And Facebook. And Facebook. How, how, do you post on Facebook every single day? Uh, well, my Facebook is just personal. Um, the, I mean, it's, it's okay, I, I understand. But do you post on Facebook every single day? I would challenge you to try to come up with a post every single day of it. And it doesn't, like, it's not a post for me. Just a post. Just thinking about a post every single day for a month, from Monday through Friday. That you're not just posting randomly during the day, but at a really specific time when you think that audiences are most likely to see it. To see how, and changing the time every single day to think about when you're going to get the most engagement in that. Even from your family. Like, you know that audience best because it's your friends and family, right? But just, to, just as a test to see what happens and see how, be like, do it for just one week and see how hard it is. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, I have a question. I'm just wondering, there are sources that uh, do printed play, uh, print play productions of the game factor. Mm -hmm. Would you consider those for really early for publishers, like someone just starting out, or is that something you'd avoid, or is that something you mean, look at the economy of scale yeah. now, but... You're talking about, like, as a final thing that you're selling to people? Yeah. Like, as a print run using them, you're saying? I still think you can find cheaper sources um, than that, because unless you're doing a very small run of 50 or something, I, I, I think you can still get some better deals in the U.S. even for 500 copies of something from um, yeah. other sources. One of, one of my games that's basically all parts. parts. Basically, all cards, so it's actually really, really cheap to produce. Um, it costs me $10 more than I would try to sell that game for. And it's great. It's a beautiful prototype, and it's great for showing to people and showing off, but it is not viable as a print run solution. Those are good for like play tests and stuff. Definitely for play tests and probably for if you need like five to ten prototypes to send out. The turnaround time is fast. Yeah. I'm a big fan of print play games. We also use them for. I use them for prototypes that were coming off that are like late stage. Yeah, I've used Gamecrafter too. Like, nothing against Gamecrafter. No, I use Gamecrafter. I also use drive through RPGs. They do cards as well, so you can do drive through cards through them. So I also do that sometimes. I 
Um, are book sales going down, and how does that affect, you know, the art, at least the art retail space with art and editing and all this other things? Where are the goods? Well, no, that the book sales are going down, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have noticed um, a lot of people backing at the, the, the print or the PDF level, um, right? And it's because there's so many things out there. Right? They want to back everything, but then they're like, ah, you know, I want this, but if I can get the print play. Now, the one awesome thing about people backing your, your print play is that that basically doesn't cost you anything now. So if, if you can cover, it's great. So you should put your stuff, if you have anything like this on like Drive or PG or some other kind of source that allows people to buy things digitally because um, you don't have to make as much uh, off of those games then because you're just getting additional profit off of this product that you already created that's just digital. So I mean, it seems like, oh, I didn't sell as many games, but now you've made money on something that you didn't have to put that much effort into and now you still have other games that you can like, I, this is, I don't know anything about your Kickstarter or what it was, right, so this is not a, not a judgment on that, but I would say that when I think about me personally as a backer and my limited space, and I, I think we, I, at Keymaster specifically, try to think about people's limited space and limited time, those physical products are taking up space that is limited, right? That is a, that's just like our time is limited and, and our potential for enjoyment is limited. So when you are doing Kickstarters, when you are publishing, you're thinking about tangible products. If it's something that you really want people to have a physical experience with, you probably want to make sure that that physical experience is, is complete and whole. Like, um, it's probably, like people probably would have been willing to, this would be my, my hypothetical bet, people probably would have been willing to spend more on your physical product if there was something really completely over the top and it became this beautiful thing that people really wanted to, to take. And, I, and I'm sure that your physical product is, is wonderful. It's, Maybe some hook is why they're getting that, Yeah, right? just, a, just an experiential hook that is hard to live without. Yeah, let's go down here. Is Kickstarter the only game in town, or is there another couple uh, of It's kind of the game in town for board games and RPGs. I mean, there is Indiegogo and another one. There's some others that are but popping up. I would, I mean, there are, other, there are other sources, but that's kind of the marketplace, I would say, out there. What do they charge? 5%. 5% is it a straight line or a straight line? So if you don't make it, they don't take any, let's say you asked for 10,000, you got 9999, you didn't make it cost you nothing, no harm, no foul, you know, and then if it's $10,001, it's 5%. Yeah, and then as you said before, the payment processing, which I usually calculate as another 5%. Right. Uh, it amounts to, it, it really amounts to 15, I, th I think it's actually something like that. It's, so to be on Kickstarter to have, to get your money taken out through Stripe because that's the only place that is processing payments, any of your payments, it's 15%. It's, it is technically a little less than that, but if you factor that, you're going to be off, you're going to be on the plus, right? So yeah, that's what you're thinking about when you're when you're doing this. Um, I think we may have one more question. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on like an alternate approach to crowdfunding instead of like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but rather something like Patreon, where it's like a continuous right. like, subscription? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Patreon's a really different beast in that you're cultivating a community over a long period of time. But I know several game designers who are turning stuff out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I go to some companies that pretty much that was their model. And if you look now, we're making thousands of dollars a month. I mean, it took 10 years, but you know that that's kind of how they model the company, right? And that's a totally valid way to do it. It is super interesting. Yeah, but it is it is a it's a lot. It's a, it is a model, right? Like this is a business model. So I think Bunchai is actually a great example of somebody I was thinking of. Uh, and Bunchai Games has a Patreon, um, and it's a successful Patreon, and they commit to putting out. And, doesn't matter the size of the game, right? Let's for, they, yes, they are wallet size games, but he puts out a game every single month. That is, I feel like it's just, it, it is an incredible amount of work that he's dedicating himself to um, that you might not be prepared to because Patreon does, like, that is a completely different battlefield where you do have to engage, like, you're engaging with people and needing to do so on a regular basis because there's a return that you're asking for other than just the physical product. And he's also still doing Kickstarters. And he, still and he also does yeah. convention shows and sells games at shows. Right, but I think that's a great place to start if that's what you're thinking about starting. Um, that's a, I mean, if you're willing to commit to doing that, that's a, that's a good place to start. That's a great place to start, yeah. And I think we're out of time. We're kind of out of time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you.